You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers' Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is a freelance writer, blogger, and author of the best-selling series The Mapmaker Chronicles. She has more than 20 years' professional writing experience. Each week, they explore the world of writing, publishing, and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers, and much more. With students enrolling from all over the world, you can find out more about the Australian Writer Centre at writercentre.com.au. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 160 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm here with Alison Tate. How are you, Al? I, Val, I'm excited. You're excited? I know. Why are you excited? Isn't that unexpected? This, you that, were expecting yes. just to, I'm all right, weren't yes, you? Yes, no. of course. I'm actually, Go I'm on. excited on several levels today. Okay, so, I do tell. Start okay, with so level the, one. So, well, it's hard to say. It's like an equal level of excitement, really. But anyway, so my first level of excitement comes from the fact that I went to the post office this morning and picked up my author copies of the Mapmaker Chronicles book four, Beyond the Edge of the Map. So I now have my uh, little box, my box of gorgeousness. I do love so much getting the author copies. It makes it all very, very real. So that was one level of excitement. But the other level of excitement I have is actually even more massive than that. And that is that I found out last week that the Mapmaker Chronicles series, the first three books in the series, are going to be available in the UK from the 6th of April. Oh, that's so soon. That's like a minute away. I know. It's so oh. exciting. So um, I'll put a link in the show notes because I've, I've written a little post about my general levels of excitement and with all links and information and all of that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, I just, it, it was uh, it was a really unexpected and great, uh, shall we say, joyful experience to discover that last week. So um, if you're really in the UK, the Mapmaker Chronicles is coming your way and uh, I would really appreciate your help if you want to Tell all your friends about it because I don't have very long to actually get the message out there. So, yeah, what do you think absolutely. about that? Absolutely, that is so exciting! Congratulations! No wonder that no wonder there's you know multiple levels of excitement. I know That's it's brilliant. a very very big day. And what about yeah. you? How are your levels of excitement? My levels of excitement are probably not as high as yours, mm-hmm. but um, there's yeah quite a bit of activity. Uh, Lately, so I'll be going to Brisbane this week to help a bunch of budding authors build their author profile, um, and then going to Melbourne the following week to do the same. Actually, in Melbourne, they're all writers of business books, so um, we'll be working out their strategy for um, positioning themselves as experts in their field, but also wow. because they've all written books, how to leverage their book to get into the media and so on. So that should be fun but not as exciting as releasing a book in the UK now one person who is from the UK who might find this equally exciting is (laughs) 
<laughs> PG1083. Interesting name, PG1083. Now, he has left us a review on iTunes. He's called it Funny and Informative. And yes, his name is PG1083. I'm not it's sure what it's Matthew. He signed off as Matthew. I think we okay. should call him. Let's call him Matthew. Matthew. He's, I feel like we're Matthew. on. Yeah, like right. he's written his his review. I feel name. like we're on intimate terms now. Sure. So let's call okay. him Matthew. Matthew, whose iTunes name is PG1083, has said, great podcast. I'm an English guy living in Norway. Oh, okay. So he's living in Norway, but he is from England. I have found this podcast to be really helpful and motivating as an aspiring writer myself. It's always witty, informative, and easy to listen to. I returned to the UK in the summer to study a BA in journalism and English literature at university. And this podcast has really whetted my appetite to expand my writing further. Thanks and keep up the good work. And that's from Matthew. And of course, if Matthew is returning to the UK in the summer, he will see on bookshelves in the UK... The Matt the Chronicles. But we could also just say good luck with your uh, with your BA, Matthew. I hope it goes incredibly well for you. Absolutely, yes. And uh, thank you so much for taking the time to leaving for, to leave us a review because uh, that's really encouraging for us. And it if is. any other thank listeners you. have 30 seconds to leave us a review or rating on iTunes, we'd really appreciate it because it certainly helps us in the rankings. All right, so shall we move on to the world of writing and publishing this week? Let's do that. I came across a great post on the Writing Cooperative uh, Mm. and it is called Advice from Kurt Vonnegut that Every Writer Needs to Read. Now, we always love a bit of advice from Kurt Vonnegut because he's certainly so well regarded. He's the author of such classics as Slaughterhouse-Five and Breakfast of Champions. And um, there are eight tips in this post. And of course, if you want to refer to any of the things that we discuss in this episode, you can go to the show notes, which you can find at soyouwanttobeawriter.com.au. Now, these eight tips, are these are pretty good. So the first one is use the time of a total stranger in such a way that he or she will not feel the time was wasted. So Mm. they say this is simple. Your reader, which is a total stranger, must not feel that they're wasting time if they're, you know, wading through seemingly unnecessarily details or events or descriptions. They must feel constantly engaged. The next one I really like as well is give the reader at least one character he or she can root for, which of course is the American term for who can barrack for or who can go for. And um, that is so true because you really need to at least have one character, if not more, that you really resonate with and you think, yes, I want them to succeed or yes, I want them to, you know, get the girl or climb the mountain or or whatever it is, right? Right. um, And I was talking to somebody on the weekend uh, and um, (laughs) the conversation started because he said to me, I get, do you watch much television? I get the sense that you really don't. (laughs) Really? I know. Okay. I went, oh, no, yeah, I... I watch television. And uh, anyway, (laughs) this uh, started a discussion about television and um, we were talking about shows that we liked and didn't like and and, uh, I – 
he says, oh, yes, I love a good political drama. I said, oh, my God, did you like House of Cards? He said, no, I didn't at all. And I said, oh, why was that? And he said, because it really was just a bunch of every single person, every single character was a horrible character, and I just didn't like any of them. So he didn't root for (laughs) or go for any character at all. He couldn't relate to – well, I mean, he maybe he related to some, but he – he didn't care, and you've got to get your reader to care, don't you? Mm, you do, and yet, and yet, House of Cards is incredibly popular, and I, I mean, I, I love it, and it's partly because they're so awful. No, you know, they're all so awful that you just sort of like I just watch it with my mouth open most of the time, and part of it, I think, is that that sense that what you're actually watching is a reflection of what actually happens. So you yeah. feel like you're being given, even though it's a drama, obviously, but you, you do feel like you're given a, a fly on the wall sort of um, perspective on what actually goes on behind closed doors in Washington. And mm. I think in, in a way it's just that sense that it, it reinforces for you what you already thought. You kind of like you yeah. thought they were all awful. And look, here's this show showing you that, yes, in fact, they are all awful. But I'll tell you what, every single one yes. of those characters um, does um, does something that uh, Kurt says, uh, point three in this particular article, mm-hmm. every character should want something, even if it is only a glass of water. And oh, I yeah. would say that that is something that, that – House of Cards does incredibly well is that there is not a single person in that show on any level that doesn't want something that she or he or she does not have. And I think that that's, um, that's a point that I, it's a really interesting one because when I go and talk to schools, when I do workshops in, in schools and things like that, that is something that we, that I talk about a lot because the, the driving force for any character through a story is is reaching a goal. It is something yeah. that, you know, whether it's they're looking for love, whether they're looking for world maps, whether they're looking for whatever mm-hmm. it is that they're looking for, they need to want something. Otherwise, they're just drifting aimlessly and nobody cares. You know, it's that sense of, of, of you have to – engage the reader with the goal and the character all the everything that the character does is driven or in response to or reacting to getting to you know heading towards that goal and that helps you to it helps with the plot of your story it helps with everything so that notion that everyone and that's not just your main character that has to be every sort of person that walks across the stage has to walk Mm. across for a reason they have to have a reason to be there if you can't Mm. think of what that reason is or what is driving that particular character to be in your story then they shouldn't be there and this is a really interesting one too because when I presented the first draft uh, manuscript of the Adaban Cipher, which is my mm. new um, my new series, which is coming out towards the end of the year. Another uh, level of excitement. Another whole level of excitement. <laughs> this, um, I, I can only cope with certain levels at a time though, so we, we're not mm. focusing on that just yet. Mm. But the... Um, I presented the manuscript and my my publisher, my editor, who's incredibly good, Suzanne O'Sullivan, big wave to her, she came back to me and she said to me, this particular character, do we need her? Because, you know, at the moment she's there, but why is she there? You know, and I said, no, no, we we definitely need her because she is an absolutely crucial part of the overall plot, you know, as the story unfolds. And she's like, well, then you need to show me that. You need, she needs to be integral 
to the plot right from the start, you need to bump her up. So mm. I had to go back and look at her role because, you know, in my head, she was vital the whole time, of course. She was there. She was doing her stuff. But to someone reading it for the first time, she was just kind of there because they didn't know what my overall reason was for having her there. So I needed mm. to actually make her um, more of a standout. I had to give her a role, a proper role, a goal. She couldn't just walk across the stage. She had to be there for a reason. So um, that is something that is really important. And it's not until it's pointed out to you sometimes that you notice that that is, um, that that is what's happening. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's so important to um, make sure that not only does your character want something or your characters want something, the next point in this uh, post is number four, every sentence must do one of two things, reveal character or advance the action. So that's so important because often Mm. there are just scenes in there and you just think, why the hell is that there? <laughs> yes. You've yes. got to cut it out because it doesn't reveal character or advance action. Maybe it's just a wonderful description of a particular place or something, <clears throat> but that kind of doesn't matter if it, uh, if it doesn't do those two things. Mm, and very of course, true. Let's move on to some of the others. We'll just cover them the rest quickly. Number five, start as close to the end as possible which mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense, right? Because often you go on too much, too much of an epic journey uh, or you get, or you, or, or more to the point, there's too much backstory and you think, gee, those first four chapters can just go in some of the manuscripts that I read. Well, even um, in a short story, because this yes. is another funny conversation that I had, you know, I have to say having these conversations with um, uh, you know, teenagers or children is a, often a really great way to clarify these points. So um, a young friend of Book Boys was writing a short story and he had 2,000 words and he was creating for himself this epic fantasy. And he was 5,000 words into his 2,000 word story when he spoke to me and he said to me, I just don't know how to do this. I don't know how to, how can I possibly make this, you know, this whole thing fit into 2,000 words? And mm. I, we talked about it and I said, well, tell me what happens in this story. And he's like, oh, this and that and whatever. And then they get to the bottom of the mountain and they climb the mountain and they fight the bad Going above and I'm like, right, start at the bottom of the mountain. And he's like, yeah. what? What? And I'm like, start at the bottom of the mountain. You can cover all of that other stuff in a couple of conversations and two paragraphs, but the crux of your story is getting mm. up and down that mountain. And he was like, mm. oh. So he did that and he handed it in and he got an A, everybody. Oh, well done. Oh, right. <laughs> well done. So Have there you go. Mom. Yeah. No, no, that was his friend. It wasn't even, uh, okay. it wasn't even Book Boy. It was his friend. Book yes. Boy doesn't listen to me. He thinks he knows everything. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Number seven is write to please just one person. If you open a window and make love to the world, so to speak, your story will get pneumonia. Classic. <laughs> so true. Um, and number eight, give your readers as much as information as possible as soon as possible. To heck with suspense. Readers should have such complete understanding of what is going on, where and why, that they could finish the story themselves should cockroaches eat the last few pages. Well, oh, he certainly has a way that with That is an unusual kind of tip, but yep. Hmm. So we'll put okay. the link in the show notes, which you can find at soyouwanttobearwriter.com.au. Now, the next link is 
is a post that has gone off in the past week, hasn't it, Al? It has gone off. It has Mm. indeed. And it's a guest post uh, for the Australian Writers' Centre by the fabulous Alison Rushby, whose new book, The Turnkey, which is a middle-grade kind of fantasy ghost story, uh, which is getting fantastic reviews and feedback, um, was published a couple of weeks ago. And she wrote a post for us which is called Five Ways to Tell if You're Writing Middle-Grade or Young Adult Fiction. And I think it's a terrific post because I think this is one of those dilemmas, as she says, yes. that only writerly types can have. So mm-hmm. she knew what she wanted her story to be about. She had an idea of of what it was, you know, where it was going to be set, how it was going to work, all of these things. She had a title. But then she got to this sort of point in the planning and she is a mad planner. Let's talk about that spreadsheet kind of planning thing that she does. Um, And she didn't know whether the story was going to be middle grade, so for readers ages 8 to 12 or for young adults, sort of, you know, 13 to 18 or, you know, thereabouts, um, which is a big problem because they are two very, very different uh, markets to write for and there are a lot of sensitivities and considerations that need to be taken when she was deciding, you know, what what this was going to be. So she's got some questions here to ask yourself, um, which will help you to decide if you're writing middle grade or or for young adults. So the first question is, how old is your main character? Mm. Um, and this is a really interesting thing because middle grade books are generally marketed at kids around 8 to 12 and they will have a main character who is around 11, 12 or 13. Kids like to read about characters who are a little bit older than they are. Now, in my case, my middle grade book actually has Quinn is 14 in the first book. He is a sort of like, you know, he's slightly older, but it's a fantasy adventure. So it's a slightly different setup. Um, but you're generally looking, they, that you know, eight-year-olds don't want to read about eight-year-olds. They want to read about people who are a few years older than they are. Um, young adult, however, you're, you're looking at a 15 to 16-year-old you know, kind of minimum as far as your who your protagonist will be. Um, mm. And it's rare to see them beyond high school age, um, you know, sort of like college, young adults, sort of YA fiction is not usually got a 19-year-old protagonist, generally speaking. There are, of right. course, exceptions. And generally the readers of young adult are roughly what? 13 to 18. Right. As, okay. we, as, I, as I already said, Valerie, you were not listening to me. I mustn't have had enough sleep last night. <laughs> oh, because you were macrameing, I believe. <laughs> I think I was. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> okay. So anyway. middle grade is readers eight, uh, aged eight to twelve, and young adult is thirteen to eighteen. That's correct. Roughly. Yeah. Okay. So yep. the other th- couple of questions that you need to ask yourself is one of the main things you need to think about is what is your main character worried about? So mm. she breaks it down. Alison Rushby breaks it down to thinking about the fact that middle grade kids. Are sort of in middle grade fiction, they're more worried about the outer world, what's happening around them, whereas young adult uh, protagonists are going to be worried about the emotional inner world, what's going on inside of them, how are they feeling about things, yeah. that kind of stuff. So, very emo. Yeah, very emo. So in middle grade, uh, Al says, we often find one outward incident has interrupted the main character's status quo. So something has happened and their lives are changed and they need to kind of fix it or restore it. Whereas your young adult protagonist is living, as teenagers do, in a much Mm. more complex world. Mm. And often whatever needs to be fixed or, you know, if if a change needs to be fixed is going to be more difficult and they're probably going to have to come through 
um, into a more adult perspective. So there's a lot of coming of age kind of stuff going on in in young adult as well. Mm. Um, of course, when you're looking at writing uh, for you know kids of different ages, you need to look at how far you're taking things. Like if you want to include sex, drugs, violence, any of that sort of stuff, then chances are you're not writing middle grade fiction. No. Um, because those sort of things get darker and edgier as you go into young adult territory. Um, you can get right down to your sentence structure. Uh, so if you write a few paragraphs, middle grade work tends to be simpler. Um, she says, you know, that there's a simpler vocabulary. And in many cases, this is the case. I think it depends on what you're writing. I don't tend to simplify my vocab very much for my middle grade. Um, I tend to sort of just write it as it would as it would come out and you know I think kids also like the fact don't dumb it down like that's yeah. not what you're doing don't dumb it down for them because they will see straight through it and they will not like it um, but their sentence structure is going to be uh, less complicated probably than with young adult and then the other thing you need to ask yourself is what do you see your word count as being? Because it does matter. So middle grade, you're aiming for around mm. thirty-five to 50,000 words with a little bit of leeway to go higher. Um, with young adult, you are looking at fifty to 70,000 words because it's a, you know, you're looking at older readers able to take on more complex plots, et cetera, et cetera. So those are the kind of rough guidelines that you will need to ask yourself to work out where you're at. Al ended up with middle grade simply because the minute she had a talking fox in her book, <laughs> she does, then it's a no-brainer that she's writing middle grade, so right there. <laughs> but it's a terrific post. So if you are sort of in that sort of spot where you're wondering what it is, how old your protagonist should be, what your word count should be, all of that kind of stuff, have a yeah. look at the um, link in the show notes. Fantastic. That's an excellent post. Great summary. All right, let's move on to um, another link that we have this week, and it's from a website called Bustle. And I thought I'd share this because it's um, pretty useful. It is 12 tips for getting feedback on your writing. Mm -hmm. Because really, we do want feedback on, well, we should want feedback on our writing. Some people don't want feedback on their writing because deep down they're scared of what that feedback might say. Or fewer people um, think that they're so great that they don't need feedback on their writing. However, as writers, any feedback on your writing, any useful feedback on your writing can transform your writing and really improve your story. But it's not just a matter of, you know, handing it out to your friends and saying, hey, can you give me some feedback? Because you need to choose your people carefully and you need to ask the right questions. And I thought that mm. this post gives us some good tips. Now, it says, number one, you need to accept that you need feedback. And I do think that that's important because unless you actually believe the feedback is going to be useful, you're not going to listen to it. Mm. Make sure your work is feedback ready. So the, the uh, it confounds me, Alison, Tate, it confounds Confounds me. Confounds when, you? Okay, I'm ready. He, Hit me. What confounds you, Al? The number of people who say to me, it's not finished yet, but would you like to read it? And I'm yeah, just no. like, well, <laughs> I, I just don't get it. I just don't get it. And that happens not only with manuscripts of fiction, but also of articles, you know, mm -hmm. like feature articles. I'm like, mm -hmm. finish it. How can I provide useful feedback until I see it in all its context and in its entirety, whether it's structured properly? You can't comment on the structure unless it's finished. No. So not only does it need to be finished, it needs to be your best work. Otherwise, what's what's the point? 
Yes, just, that's it, correct. This it, it, this seriously happens to me every single week. I'm not kidding. And every time it happens, I'm just I just shake my head and I just don't know what to say. But anyway, I'll just calm down. That's the yes, right. Are you all right? <laughs> it happens every single week. I'm not kidding. It's bizarre. Please don't do this to Valerie. It's very bad for her <laughs> blood pressure. Okay, don't do it. <laughs> um. Yeah. Also, find someone who knows what they're talking about. This means not your mother you know, or your best friend, because they're always going to say nice things. I think he's somebody who is a reader uh, and even better if they are, you know, an expert in writing or they're an author themselves, but certainly somebody who, and most writers read books, so presumably they're readers as well. Yeah. The other thing that I think is useful is ask two or three specific questions. Now, you may want overall feedback on the structure and whether it works, and of course, you should ask for that. But do you have specific questions Does like, is my protagonist likable enough, or are my jokes too much like dad jokes or whatever, right? <laughs> probably, yes. I think I can probably answer that for you right now, Valerie, without, without even reading. So, you know, or, or is this section here confusing? So if you've got some bits that in your gut you're kind of feeling, oh, I wonder if that's like that, just ask the question so that they can be, um, you know, pay more particular attention to to that area. Um, oh, and I've like, got to tip on that too. Can I? Yes, please. So I always get kids to read my manuscripts in their first oh, draft. Yeah. If you know whether yeah. I read them aloud to my son, as I do with the Mapmaker Chronicles. But with the Adaban Cipher, I actually send it out to several people, including a couple of girls I know. And I included a ten point questionnaire in it, quite specific. Oh, you know, idea. did you like this? Did you like that? You know, what you know, what would you change? Um, who was your favourite character? Why? That kind of stuff. Um, because on I think that, was there consensus on the f- favourite character, just out of interest. Well, no, it was really quite interesting. They all had different favourites and that made oh, me good. very, very happy because there's yes. quite a few, um, you know, there's one main protagonist and then there are five other very significant characters in it. So that I was really, really pleased that they mm. had different ones. It's like a, right. you know, boy band, not really, girl band. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like a girl band. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anyway, uh, yes, so put a question, you know, particularly if you're dealing, particularly if you're asking, you know, kids of any age to to provide feedback, you need to be really specific. Otherwise, they will just come back to you and go, oh, yeah, it was good. (laughs) Yeah, I think that the questionnaires are a great idea. Um, Other ones are be polite. That's kind of stating the obvious, but maybe we should be reminded of that sometimes. But the other one I think is really important because I experienced this as well is shut up. As in, <laughs> that sounds they, very you, Valerie. <laughs> what they mean is, see, that people ask me for my feedback and I give them my feedback and then they start defending or, or explaining and I'm saying I, I, it's okay, I, I, but the fact that you need to explain it means mm. that it didn't come across on the page or mm. the fact that, you know, you didn't include that because of that, the you, you know your dog had to go to the vet <laughs> is yeah. it, it, it's it's obvious on the page that you know something's missing and yeah. the confounding thing that happens is when people um like I'll say to people it's confusing when so and so and so and so uh uh go to the shop I'm not uh, it, uh, it, uh, the reader doesn't know what's happening and I've had this back I've had Yes, they do. 
(laughs) (laughs) Or it's not confusing. (laughs) Okay, fine. It's not confusing. I think this brings us to point 10 very nicely, which is recognize painful but helpful feedback. Now, I am going to tell you right here, right now, that feedback is not fun. And if you're if or if you're mm. sending it out there thinking that you're just going to get people come back to you and say you're amazing, I love it, and if that's what you're after, then give it to your mum because yeah. really that's that's probably going to be your best bet. Yeah, you need to be prepared for the fact that all the things that you know you this and this is what I find fascinating about writers, you always know. Now you know deep in your heart that it is confusing that they go to the shops or whatever, but you are hoping that everything else is so amazing that people are not going to notice. And here's Mm. the thing, they are going to notice and particularly an editor is going to notice and they are going to come back to you and they are going to say, uh-uh, this is not working. And you have to take that feedback and you need to walk away with all the painful feelings inside you that you will have. And I know because I have been there. And in fact, I'm in the middle of it as we speak. Um, and you have to reorganize all those thoughts and you have to take that stuff on board and think, okay, how can I use this to make my story better? Because if all you do is, t- is go away and cry and go, that person doesn't know what they're talking about. I'm just going to put this out there. You're in for a world of pain. It's not going to work. So people, particularly if there's two or three people telling you the same thing, yeah, you have to take notice of it and it will hurt. It does hurt. You will bleed, trust me. You will bleed. <laughs> you will bleed. And but it will be it's useful. It's really, really useful. And then you know what you do? You go back to your manuscript and you take a deep breath and you rip that baby apart and put it back mm. together. And that's that's how you get a, a book that you can be so proud of. Yeah, absolutely. So some, hope, some good tips on feedback that hopefully is going to be helpful to some people. All right, so let's move on to our giveaway this week. Mm, what have we got? I really like this giveaway. It is, see, can you hear me clapping? I like this giveaway. I can hear you clapping like a four-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> it is two okay. books in this pack, two books. Mm-hmm. So the first, <clears throat> is, so you know, do you remember how there was that book that took the world by storm last year, the the something about tidying up by Marie Kondo. Yes, um, the magical something or other something genius of tidying, of tidying up. up. Yeah. yeah, and everyone became you know, converts to the KonMari method. Well, right. as a result of that particular book, there's obviously been some books in. Um, uh, in response to that, I think there was one, there was the magical art of not giving a beep no, yes, <laughs> or something that's right. like that. But there's also this whole decluttering thing has taken the world by storm. So we've got one book called The Art of Discarding by Nagisa Tatsumi and Get Your Together by Sarah Knight. The <laughs> is the one starting with S. Now, I do like of, your beeps. Yeah, yeah, I, I like the way that you're just adding the sound effects there. It's very attractive. Yes, it's good. So mm. The Art of Discarding by Nagisa Tatsumi promises a clutter-free, calmer life where we are free from accumulation syndrome and ultimately less is more. And get your mm, 
together is uh, best-selling anti-guru Sarah Knight reveals how to stop whining and start winning. In her frank, forthright and downright hilarious fashion, she shares her tried and tested methods so that you can apply them to your own hopes and dreams. She was the one who wrote the best-selling The Life-Changing Magic of Not Giving a... <laughs> so, if you want to win these books, they're they're so cool. Uh, just go to writerscenter.com.au/win and uh, and enter there. Now, the competition closes on the twenty seventh of March, but don't worry if you come to this website. I mean, to that um, URL in the future, there will be some other fantastic competition that you can enter with other fantastic things that you can win. So that's writercenter dot com dot au slash win this podcast is brought to you by the australian writers center a world leader in writing courses our blogging for beginners on demand course has been created for you if you want to set up your own blog but you're not sure where to start If you're a total newbie, this course covers which platform to use, structuring and naming your blog, what to write about, updating content and much more. By the end, you will have started your blog. Plus, because it's one of our on-demand courses, you can learn when and where it suits you with 12 months access to all course materials. You can find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash blogging. All right, are we ready for the word of the week? We are so ready. I think I'm going to get a T-shirt made with we are so ready, Val, (laughs) on it. Okay. Well, have you heard of this word before? Okay. Quid nunk. That's Q-U-I-D nunk, N-U-N-C. Quid nunk. I have never heard of it. It sounds like a Harry Potter game, like maybe the basketball version of Quidditch or something. Yeah, yeah. No? It's a cracker of a word, isn't it? It is a good I word. I've, who, has anyone ever used it though, ever? Like well, I've I'm never heard to. of it. I'm about to. Okay, I'm uh, ready. So quidnunk, it does sound like a, you know, offshoot of Quidditch, but it is not. A quidnunk, in fact, refers to somebody who loves to hear the latest scandal and gossip. So... You would say that all of the women on the Real Housewives of Sydney are all quidnunks. That's one way to describe them. Yes. <laughs> I like it, Val. It's a good one. I think you've done it. And I would really like to see somebody use that in a blog post because really, yes. come on. Absolutely. Uh, quidnunk. I think it's a cracker. So um, uh, do you try and use it. I, I'm going to use it. And by the way, don't watch Real House of Sydney. It's so bad. So, oh, did I say that? Out loud? You, did, you did actually say that. Shh. I didn't hear a word. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, anyway, I do know that, though, that um, all the women on the Real Housewives of Sydney are quidnunks. Right. Let's move on to our writer in residence this week. We are speaking to Harrison Young. Now, Harrison has such an interesting background. By day, he is actually, you know, a director of many companies. He's been chairman of MBN Co., former director of the Bank of England. He's been director of the Commonwealth Bank of Australia. He's, wow. Um, yeah, he's, uh, he's, he lives his days in the big end of town, going to board meetings, wearing suits and the like. But... His passion 
is writing novels, and he's written several novels, in fact. Um, he's written uh, Partners, which was sort of um, uh, erotically charged, and he's written Submission, he's written Nantucket, and his latest book is called The Daughters of Henry Wong. So I thought it was interesting to chat to Harrison about how he fits his writing amongst a very, very demanding day job. So wow. here we go, Harrison Young. Thanks so much for joining us today, Harrison. Thank you. Now, for listeners who haven't read your book yet, The Daughters of Henry Wong, can you tell us what it's about? Sure. It's uh, at a surface level, it's a thriller. Uh, there's a there's a whole bunch of things happen to a particular character, but at another level, it's really about the process of his maturity as he copes with all the things he has to cope with. Uh, and, and finally, as he does that coping, he begins to have a better understanding of Chinese culture and of the ways in which Chinese culture is not that different from Western culture. Mm, and how in, did this idea, the idea for this book form? Did you also spend a lot of time in, this book is set in Hong Kong, did you spend a lot of time in Asia yourself or how did you decide to set where it's set and to, 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 to take on this particular story? Well, I was living in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a, a book that I published a couple of years ago took place in Saudi Arabia sort of and or in Dubai, maybe an imaginary place, but it was approximately like Dubai. And an agent who tried to place it with a publisher said, nobody wants to read about the Middle East. <laughs> so I said to myself, well, I guess I better write something about Hong Kong because that's where I live now and that's very much in the news. So uh, I was sort of meditating on what I would write. Uh, and I was out walking one Saturday afternoon in Hong Kong and I came upon a fascinating house sort of hidden in the woods. You had to go down a path or up a path from the main roads to get to it. But it was a large house and it was sort of had some Chinese and some Western elements to it. And that, I said to myself, "Ah, I wonder what would happen in that house. And that was sort of the germ of the story. People who have read read the book say that the house itself, which in, in the story is referred to as Wong Castle, Mm. Uh, that the, the house is almost a character in the book. Now, this is your fourth published novel, is that right? Yeah, the, the, the first quote novel, unquote, was actually a collection of short stories, but they overlap enough that people experience them as a novel. Yeah, yeah. So now the interest, the thing I find fascinating is that your bio says that you've been writing, I'm sure it's, you know, tongue in cheek a little bit, but your bio says that you have been writing fiction in airports and on weekends for quite some time because the reality is that you have a very busy life in the corporate world. You're a former director of the Bank of England, former chairman of MBN Co., uh, the Commonwealth Bank, and you're, you're a busy person who lives in a very, very different corporate environment than most people who are writers. So do you, where do you fit your writing in? Well, when I started writing, um, when I started writing fiction in 1981, I was living in Bahrain where I'd been sent by my investment banking firm to help some Kuwaitis start a bank. And there was nothing to do in the evening. 
and so I said, well, you've always wanted to write a novel. You should try. And that, so I did it in the evening, and that was pretty easy because there was exactly nothing else to do. Yeah. Um, when I, a, as time passed, there were periods when I was able to write every weekend for you know, four hours maybe. There were periods when I dried up and didn't do anything. Um, when I went to live in Beijing with my family, uh, the winter was so awful that my wife and infant son came down to Australia because she was an Australian. Mm. And I had, again, nothing to do in Beijing, so I began writing again. And it was an hour and a quarter, hour and a half car ride to my office. Mm. So I got roughly three hours of writing on a laptop in the car uh, each workday. Wow. Uh, when I got back to Hong Kong and began to have responsibilities uh, as vice chairman of Morgan Stanley Asia, which took me all over Asia, uh, I wrote a lot in airports. And um, so it's literally true. That's, that's where <laughs> I've done it. <laughs> and on airplanes, no doubt. And on airplanes now that there's good, uh, now that you can get enough power. Yes. So it's, uh, do you consider writing as a parallel career? Do you consider it a hobby? <coughs> do you consider your corporate stuff something that you do when you're not writing? You know, how does it fit into your mindset? Uh, I, well, it's clearly a hobby because I would have starved to death if I was trying to support myself with my writing. <laughs> but, but I think of it as an as one of several aspects of me. I mean, I, I always aspired to be an interesting person, not to be have a one-track life. And the fact that I've had an interesting banking career and an interesting time on a bunch of boards and an interesting time publishing four novels, those are all different aspects of the same person. And I just, I sort of like that. It must take some kind of discipline to, you know, watch the movies instead of write on the plane or to stare out the window in the car instead of write. Uh, But was it something that you had to discipline yourself and force yourself to do or was it something that you were just hanging to get to? You actually really wanted that commute on the car. Um, For the most part, it's something I want to do. And since it's a hobby, I, I don't very often force myself to sit down and write when I, when I don't feel like it. Um, now that I'm semi-retired, uh, I sometimes wake up in the middle of the night and go down the hall and write for two hours. Hmm. And clearly you do that because you enjoy it. Yes. So when you're writing an, a book like this, The Daughters of Henry Wong, you said that the you know seed was planted when you saw this house um, that uh, made you start thinking of the story, what goes on in that house. But then when did you plot out the entire story or did you just start writing to see what would happen? How, tell us about the actual creative process of making the story become a manuscript. Right. Um, it's, uh, I'm not dodging your question, but it's quite, it's quite hard to remember mm-hmm. the order in which ideas came to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I can tell you is that I spent quite a lot of time on this book trying to get characters lined up opposite each other for thematic purposes. Mm. And in the end, I just threw it all out. I mean, in the end, <laughs> what works for me, um, and now that I've written 
you know, a couple of more books. What, what I find works for me is to take either a situation, you know, somebody's living in this house, there are several, there's a whole family living in this house, blah, 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 mm-hmm. um, and or an opening sentence, and they sort of get my creative engine going, and then I sort of have to see what happens. Um, I, I mean, when I was writing The Daughters of Henry Wong, I, I, you know, there's some, there's some mysteries and problems presented early in the book. Uh, and I didn't have answers. I didn't know how it came out. Mm-hmm. And as I wrote, you know, suddenly I'd say, oh, I'll bet. what about if such and such? And so yeah. I'd go down that path. I, I'm not somebody who's written reams and reams of stuff and then throws it out. Right. Uh, I, I think a lot about what I'm writing as I'm writing. And, but thanks mm-hmm. to the miracles of word processing on a laptop, <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't have such a thing as a new draft. Every time I sit down to work on it, I may work on whatever should come next where there's nothing but blank paper, or I may work on, let's rethink that chapter a little bit. And I make uh, I make a constant stream of, of minor course adjustments and corrections so that one of my friends says that I must write 40 drafts of something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and really, I only write one. <laughs> Yeah, right. Wow. But I tinker um, with it. Yeah, sure. So this story and many of your uh, and you know some of your other books are also set in the corporate world in a sense. Like the the characters are business people. It's the a world that you know. Have you um, ever been accused by any of your readers of you know drawing on real life? <laughs> any of your business friends um, ha- recognize themselves in your books? Uh, nobody has. But uh, has that occurred? And for the ninety nine percent of the time, I'm making everything up. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's a character in the. the the daughters of Henry Wong, who resembles in some ways somebody I knew in Hong Kong. Uh, I, I, he comes out of the book looking pretty good, so I don't think my old colleague would mind. But um, I do not do what you know Somerset Mon used to do. He'd go to some new city. He'd get asked to lots of dinners and parties. He'd collect all those local gossip, and then he'd use it to write stories which were so close to the bone that he could never go back to that city again. <laughs> I, I absolutely don't do that. I have much more fun creating characters than 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 drawing pictures of people I already know. And the yeah. one that I mentioned is different in a number of very significant ways. Sure. So when you are writing, um, do you... Now, let's take this book, The Daughters of Henry Wong. Did you, were you, you say you're semi-retired. Were, did you take a period of time off to concentrate fully on the book or did you write it in the, you know, uh, spare time that you had at, at the time? Well, it's, uh, of the four books I've published, uh, the order of writing was three, one, Four, oh, th- sorry, how do I say this? Three, one, four, two. 
Oh, so this was the second book that you wrote. So this was the second one I wrote. And then the third one I wrote was Partners, which I published first. And the fourth one I wrote was was Nantucket, which I published most recently. Oh, okay. And so, uh, so s- the Daughters of Henry Wong was sitting in a drawer for, oh, 10 years. Really? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. And so what made you think it's time to take it out of the drawer? Well, uh, I've been working with Jane Curry at Ventura Press and yeah. – um, you know, we she she got me going when she read a couple of the stories in Partners, and she said these are great. Mm-hmm. I want ten of them by Valentine's Day, and <laughs> so I wrote ten stories that got placed on shelves that were called steamy fiction or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I said, okay, what comes next? And we talked about it, and and we did submission, which is a, the first one I wrote. Mm. Uh, and and then while I I guess while I was getting that ready, I started having these ideas that turned into Nantucket. So once I had Nantucket written, uh, people said we'll publish that one next. Uh, right. Though though I could have published Daughters next. Yes. Uh, what? So, so no, I don't take time off. The books take time off and <laughs> sit and marinate sometimes. <laughs> What what I did have happen with uh, the daughters of Henry Wong is that uh, I got a uh, or Jane found a very good editor to help me right. uh, bring the thing sharpen the thing up. Right. So when you took it out of the drawer after ten years, you gave it to your publisher without revising it at all. But Correct. then it went through an editing process. Right. Right, so that's a great lesson to everyone. If you've got a novel sitting in your bottom drawer for X number of years, uh, it, it's not destined to stay there. It's, it doesn't great. have to stay there, right? It doesn't right. have to stay there. So what reaction do you get from your you know, banking colleagues that <clears throat> you have written books that are in the steamy fiction aisle at the, at the bookshop? Well, I wrote one that was that way, and then okay. the, the others have – a degree of of that, but um, I get two reactions. There are people who think it's all quite a hoot and a lot of fun, and come to the launches and buy the books and tell me that they enjoyed them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I and I have colleagues who say nary a word ever, which I think just indicates that <laughs> they were well brought up. That, that you know, they that, were well brought up. Yeah, that they don't. That they don't particularly like the books or, or don't, oh. want, don't want to experience them, but are, are too polite to say, Harrison, why are you writing this stuff? <laughs> okay, sure. And um, it's, uh, it's um, when, when you are creating your characters, like your characters in The Daughters of Henry Wong, which you say are 99% completely made up, do you let them develop as you write or do you – you know, think about them and give them a backstory and give them a history and a childhood and all of that before you get into the depths of the story. I, I don't do a whole lot of, well, let me put it this way. I find that I am most creative when I'm actually writing prose. Right. And, and Or dialogue. And that if I spend a lot of time saying, now this character is going to have this backstory and 
that event and that event, and I've got to introduce this concept before that. It all goes in the trash eventually. What mm. what works is to sit down and say, so and so opened his eyes and realized he wasn't where he'd gone to bed. You know, mm. mm-hmm. and how could that be? And, and particularly if it turns out to be a good sentence, um, mm. you. It, for me, it's good prose, good dialogue that lets the character emerge. Mm. You you say you're semi-retired now. Does that mean you are writing more than you have previously? Will you will you be seeing lots more books come out from you? Um, you, you never know. I mean, I have I have half of two novels in a drawer, and I'm not working on them particularly because I'm working on with a co-author. I'm working on a book about banking, which is which is a nonfiction book. Right. Uh, and I want to get that written. But there will be times when I'm awake in the middle of the night and I walk down the hall to um, write a little bit and what comes out of the tip ends of my fingers as they hit the keys is something that belongs in one of those novels. Yeah, right. So I'll write something up and put it, you know, file it away somewhere and maybe it gets incorporated later. And finally, what do you find as the most challenging thing about writing fiction, but also what is the most rewarding thing about writing fiction? Well, the most rewarding thing is that it's sheer joy. I mean, it's just intense. It's intense intellectual pleasure. Um, and what's hard about what's hard about writing fiction? Um, challenging. What's challenging is is Sometimes you don't know what's going to happen next, or you don't. You've got a character three quarters developed, but you sort of you can't see the point, and you need to sort of back up a little bit and say, "Now, what led me to say this about this character, or have this character behave this way?" Mm. Uh, what one of the things that's fun is that sometimes you think you know what a character is all about. And he or she starts behaving in a completely different fashion. Mm. And, and you say, oh, where in the world did that come from? That's very interesting. <laughs> that, that's, it's great fun to, to follow a path you hadn't known was there. Mm. But I don't find, I, you know, Samuel Johnson said, no man but a fool ever wrote except for pleasure, except for money. And for me, that isn't true. <laughs> <laughs> That's, yeah, that's obvious. Um, All right. And so um, after you're you're writing, you're co-authoring a nonfiction book, do you find it quite a different, about banking of all things, um, and do you find, are you finding it quite a different process? Are you enjoying it more or less? It's a different process. Uh, I mean, one of the things about the process that's, Unusual, somewhat unusual, is that I'm doing all the writing, but my friend Mark Lawrence is providing a lot of the thinking. I mean, we have complementary CVs, so he's a professional. He's a risk professional. He has a doctorate in math. He's been a chief risk officer. He's done. He's been a consultant all over the world. Um, on the other hand, I've been I've been a lending officer at a bank. Uh, I've been in a lot of boardrooms advising a lot of bank boards, um, and I've been in 
boardrooms and know something about the dynamics of what goes on there. I mean, been in boardrooms as a chairman or a, or a member of the board. This book is, the, the, the way it is presented is as sort of a, a advice to somebody who's just been made a, a non-executive director of a bank mm. who isn't himself or herself a banker. Oh, okay. Well, that's really specific. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it, other people will want to read it, uh, mm -hmm. but th that's sort of the, that's the, that's the rhetorical device. Mm. Uh, but if you're going to do that and you're drawing on two people's experience and expertise, you, you have to spend a lot of time talking about it. And then mm. maybe I'll write something and Mark will say, well, that's lovely prose, Harrison, but it isn't actually <laughs> correct. Right. Is it, uh, are you writing, I'm interested, are you writing it as a how-to or are you writing it as a page-turning creative nonfiction thing or you're writing it as a manual, you know? It's, it, it's not a how-to manual. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, it's not, there are lots of stories because stories are a good way to convey information mm. but or even convey wisdom, but it's not one long story. Mm. Uh, it, it, I mean, to be really outrageous, it's, it's designed to sit as a lesser member of on a shelf that would also include things like The Prince mm. or, or, uh, or um, there's a book called Hardball about what life in Washington is really like, I think, Chris Matthews. Right. Uh, it's a sort of an essay about something that's complicated and important. Mm. It's more in the spirit of an essay than, than it is than, than anything else, let me put it that way. I'm interested to read it because I remember once reading a book about uh, the banking industry, I'm not sure if you've heard of it, um, called Naked Among Cannibals. Um, I haven't I, heard of it. Oh, well, I think you would enjoy it by Graham Hand, an Australian banker who uh, – it's it, it, it's – it's a bit dated now because it was probably written 15 years ago. And um, who would think that the Australian banking industry would be a page turner, you know? So, um, yeah, uh, you'd probably enjoy it. But um, uh, so I'm actually keen to, uh, to, to, to read the final product, um, Harris. Good. Well, I'm keen to get it written. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. On a final note, how would you – what would your advice be to those people who do have their own novel in a bottom drawer for the last 10 years? Well, getting published is hard. And finding an agent who wants to take on an unpublished author is very hard. I don't have an agent. Um, and so it, it, the, the only advice really is persevere. Persevere. Well, as it persevere to do what? I guess to find a publisher right. or, 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 um, to find an agent. Yeah. And don't let it sit in the bottom drawer. Just do something with it. Send it to the, someone. The, the, the other thing I'd say is if you have one novel, it's, it, it, it's, un, it would be unusual if you had produced a good novel, if it was the only one you had in you. Right. So, um, you know, my, solution to not being able to publish submission was to write the daughters of Henry Wong. Mm. And 
I think it's a better book. And they, I mean, I think, in fact, thanks to the editing from Catherine McCready, um, what I've produced, I think, is better than the other two books. Mm. Wonderful. So, well, this- so I guess it's keep writing is what I'd say. Yes. <laughs> but, All right. But in, enjoy it. Oh, of course. It sounds like you certainly enjoy it. So The Daughters of Henry Wong, it's available now in bookstores by Harrison Young. Thank you so much for your time today, Harrison. It was my pleasure. There you go, Harrison Young. I'm just fascinated by that story. I'm fascinated by the fact that, you know, he's off doing those massive jobs and then going home to write novels, which I think is fantastic. But also, let's just talk about the fact that, you know, The Daughters of Henry Wong was written 10 years ago and then sat yeah. in a drawer and then, you know, was brought out, was re-whatever, and and here it is. So it just goes to show you, doesn't it, that writing is never wasted if you yes. – if you keep revisiting, if you go back and you have another look. and Because as you develop as a writer, sometimes that's when you can go back and have a look at what you were trying to do 10 years ago and maybe yeah. now you've got the skills and the craft to do it, which I think is fantastic. And also sometimes it's just the time is right. You know, mm. maybe at the time it just wasn't the zeitgeist for that kind of story. Yeah, that's very so true. So make sure you, you know, keep your hard drive safe and yeah. keep your manuscript safe because you never know what might happen. Don't ditch it. You know, I was talking to a guy on the weekend. Oh, my God, it almost killed me. Well, you confounded? Um, uh, a little bit. It was more a little bit semi-heartbreaking. Not heartbreaking, oh. but um, mm-hmm. well, anyway, I'll just tell you the story. So okay. he had done three years' work on what essentially was um, – uh, could have been the, the the result could have been an amazing book. Three years research, full time mm. practically, mm. and um, oh, is this uh, going to be one of those? I've lost my whole hard drive stories. Is it? Well, and it wasn't just the writing. The research was oh. phenomenal. Like uh, we, I discussed at length the research, and it involved going through libraries and archives, and you know, meticulous kind of research because it was a nonfiction book. Um, and, and an interesting nonfiction book, actually. And um, he was decluttering and he decided to throw out all of that three years' work. And I went, was it hard to do? And He, he threw said, it out? Yeah. He, he's been decluttering severely. And, um, what? I, I know. Because there's a lot of um, paperwork as well. And, and I said, and was it hard to do? And he said, yes, it was. And... I said, but that could have been an amazing book. And um, he had to weigh up whether – and he knew that it would have been an amazing book. And interestingly, he because it didn't get up, you know, when it didn't happen, um, and he had to weigh up, do I care enough to persist? And he didn't care enough to persist? Yeah. After three he, years? Because he tried he, – he, yeah, yeah. So it was, it's interesting and, you know, fair enough because he – I still don't know whether I could have thrown it away. No. Because, you know, I don't know, maybe Isn't that what archive boxes are for? Don't you just yeah. put them in the garage? I know. He's really gone through a mag- mega decluttering um, frenzy. Uh, but, yeah, I was like, wow, that is – because it was really good idea, really good um, – you know, it would have been a great book – so, yeah, I didn't know whether – it was too late to say let's fish it out of the dumpster because, 
it was gone. So I didn't really, you know, say anything. <laughs> I feel kind of physically ill about I that, know. just quietly. <laughs> like I, you know, it's like the, it's that whole thing of like everyone's always like declutter, declutter, declutter. And like we've moved house a few times in the last, you know, decade. And uh, every time I move, I I do make a really serious effort to, to get rid of stuff that I'm just, is just not being used at the time or whatever. And, you know, there's certain things that I still think about like seven years later, I think, oh, I shouldn't have thrown that out. I know. Why did I throw that out? You yeah. know what I mean? I agree. There are things, there are, th- you know, I, I get the whole less is more stuff. And my house is not a particularly cluttered house because I have a, a husband who likes to, you know, throw things out. Mm-hmm. But it's but it's just that there are, there are some things, I think, that do matter. And to yes. me, that would matter. But anyway, know, it's done. It's done, Valerie. It's let's done. not talk about it anymore. Yes, so let's not talk about it. All right. No, so we have you have an interesting link for us from Writer's Digest. Is that right? I do, and it's a it's a it's a little quite simple link, and I think it's one that um, if you are a first time writer and you are someone who is struggling with your author platform and the whole idea of an author platform, and you find yourself on your platform and no one's looking at you, and it's it's incredibly disheartening, and I understand, mm-hmm. uh, we've all been there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called Ten Ways First Time Writers Can Get Noticed on Social Media, and there's oh, a list yes. of yeah, it's a great look. It's a really simple overview. Um, there are ten tips here, right right from choosing the platform that works for you and that's something that we talk about in the author platform course is you know it can be the best platform in the world but if you don't like it and you won't use it then you shouldn't be there you have to just choose the platform that feels right for you like whether that's Instagram whether that's Twitter whether that's Facebook and then once you get comfortable with something you can move on to something else if you want to otherwise you can stay right where you are but um, choosing the right platform is really important I think that that's that's um, essential Um, but the other thing that I think is there are two tips in here that I think are actually could just be com, um, combined into one. Uh, tip seven and eight. We'll put the link in the show notes. Uh, it's got, one of them. Number seven is interact with your followers to get noticed on social media, and one of them is interact with other authors. I think these could both be summed up as interact. You know, full yes. stop. Engage. Yeah. Talk to people. Um, I know for a fact. You know, like my my Twitter feed, for example is incredibly busy. Like it's, you know, I, I'm not someone who follows three people. I have about, well, I don't know, there's probably, there's over a thousand people that I follow. So there's a lot going on in my feed whenever I happen to be there. Yeah. Um, so the only way I'm really going to see you or notice you, like I do, obviously I take time to respond to all the people that I see. And if I'm in on Twitter, I'm talking to people. That's what I like to do. That's what I'm there for. Yeah. Um, but the only way I'm really going to see you is if you talk to me. So it's really important to kind of make your, like make yourself known. I'd really like talking to people within my community. And so, you know, let me know you're there. Say hello, all of yeah. those sorts of things. If I tweet something, respond to it. And that way I get to see you as well. And that's that's kind of one great way of, of kind of standing out. And talking to other authors and talking to editors and talking to publishers and just putting yourself into that space is, is just that's the only real way to get noticed. You can't just be on there tweeting your blog posts and tweeting your stuff and hoping that people will see them. You mm. actually have to talk to people. It's really important. Absolutely. And it's not that difficult. You know, I know people get really shy about it. People expect 
generally speaking, if you're, if I'm on Twitter and I'm talking to somebody and you've got something that you think that you could, you know, add to that conversation, jump yeah. on in. It's, it's how Twitter works. You know, that's what we do. We sort of, and, and the conversation then opens up and opens up. Um, so interact, like it's, it, you can't just tweet your own stuff. You actually have to engage with people. And that is the best way, I think, to be noticed on social media. It's, it's the best way to start to build a profile on any platform. Without a doubt, that's that's great advice. And also, if you are lucky enough to get to the stage where you know you're Justin Bieber or something, and you're <laughs> so overwhelmed with Twitter with um, fans on Twitter who are replying to or who are uh, you know tweeting you, and you simply don't have the time to, as I'm sure Justin Bieber does not, to respond to all of them. Um, I was at in New York once at. Um, the social media team of um, <clears throat> Charity Water, <clears throat> excuse me, and um, they uh, were in the midst of a massive, massive, massive um, fundraising campaign, you know, which involves celebrities and they were doing so much on Twitter, it was ridiculous, that they were getting tagged a lot, you know, because so many wonderful people in the world were supporting their particular fundraising drive. But they knew it was physically impossible to go and write thank you and make a comment or whatever on every single person. But what they did make a point of doing is so that that person felt acknowledged, they at least um, liked their, you know, did the love heart on their tweet so that that person knew they were seen. Yeah, it was read. Yeah, it was read. And that made, and they say it makes such a difference because people know that they're not doing, you know, that it's, it's being, they're being acknowledged. So if you become Justin Bieber, you know, equivalent of an author, at least try and do that if it gets, starts getting out of hand. Okay, maybe not quite Justin Bieber. When I'm Justin Bieber, I actually do it now, but, you know, as well, and I'm nowhere near Justin Bieber. But, um, yeah, but I do make a point. That is that is an important thing too because, you know, I do make a point of of thanking people who retweet things and thank you. You know, thank yous go a long way. They really do. Just that acknowledgement and, as you say, just a like to let people know that it's been seen. I love it when someone just lets me know that they've seen what I've, you know, whatever it is I've done. So Mm. um, think about that, like manners and politeness and acknowledgement go a long way on social media platforms. Absolutely. And of course, this and other fantastic platform building tips are in Alison's course called How to Build Your Author Platform. And I think it's such an awesome course because it is literally a step-by-step blueprint on exactly what you need to do to build your author platform. And I highly recommend that if you are even just in the midst of writing your novel right now or your book right now, and it's not yet published, this is actually the time to start so that your platform is ready to go when your uh, book is ready. Now, the thing is, you might think, oh, it's not going to be ready for years. Seriously, that time goes so quickly. If you start building your author platform now, you'll be in such a great position uh, mm. when when your book finally comes out. So check it out You just um, at writercenter.com.au slash platform. So that's writercenter.com.au slash platform. All right, great. So this brings us almost to the end of this week's episode. Al, what are you doing in the coming week? Oh, geez, I I have got an awful lot on my plate. So I the uh, first pages arrived today for the first book of the Ataban Cipher. So I have a oh. proofread to do, which oh. is very exciting. Um, I've got a whole I'm bunch of. I'm not a big pro- fan of proofreading myself, but you know. 
But when oh, it's no. your own book, it's good, yes. It just has to be done. It's just one of those yes. things that's got to be ticked off. You've got to read it again. Just to tell you what, you really have to like your book because you are going to be reading it so many times. Yes. Just be happy with it, okay? That's all I'm saying. Um, yeah, so I'm doing that and I've got obviously a lot of promo work to do um, because the fourth book in the Mapmaker Chronicles comes out next week in Australia. Uh, I know. Um, and it's called? So, oh, it's called. <laughs> I always forget. Yeah. It's called The Mapmaker Chronicles Beyond the Edge of the Map. Um, so I'm doing that and I've got a lot of, yeah, bits and pieces to do as far as uh, promo stuff. I'm very much focused on on books at the moment. Um, I'm not doing an awful lot of freelancing or anything like that at the moment because of the, uh, mm. you know, just the busyness of my general existence. Yeah. Um, oh, but how's this? I'm also, and this is, here's a moment for us. Go on. So... Book Boy, who is yes. 13 years old, has his first gig on Friday night. What kind of gig? He's in the support lineup uh, yes. for a Canadian folk singer who is going to be performing down here. And he will be, uh, uh, let's just get our heads around this for a moment. He will be performing three of his original songs as part oh. of this support lineup. And oh I'm just, God. yeah, my head is spinning a little bit. It's all happening quite quickly. So I will be attending that. He's going to be Justin Bieber. Oh, he's not <laughs> just Bieber. <laughs> it's not you. There's no, oh, he may well be as far as that stuff's concerned, but he does not have a hip swivel in him, so he is definitely not Justin Bieber from that level. But, yeah, it's uh, so it'll be interesting. So I'm going to that. I will be sitting in the, you know, sitting there being proud mum, probably crying oh, that's because awesome. that's what I do. Yes. I cry. He's so Aww. embarrassed by me. But anyway, that's my job. What about Aww. you, Val? What are you doing? Um, well, as I mentioned before, I've got a bit of traveling in the next couple of weeks. So I'll be, you know, that just takes up time getting on planes, trains Mm. and automobiles. Mm. And while I'm traveling, I'll be missing my macrame, which is my latest thing. Although I prefer to call it rope art. How about that? Rope art. Rope art? No, that sounds no. I think macrame is actually better. Can't you get a portable version? Can't you do finger knitting or something and then just take it with you to do on the plane? That would look really bad on the plane. Well, you shouldn't be worried about what it looks like. It should all just be about being in the moment with your knots, shouldn't it? Yes, I suppose so. But Mm. the other thing, interestingly, I'm just starting to do a little bit of research on on creativity because that's one of the things that's been my focus this year that I've tried to make myself go out on a creative date or take myself out on a creative date uh, every week and generally succeeded and Mm. it's just done wonders. It hasn't done wonders for my sleep because I've become so obsessed with whatever I discover that, you know, (laughs) I I don't go to bed, but it has done wonders for – or so many different aspects of my life, um, in particular my creativity, of course. So mm. I've just started to do a little bit of research on exactly what it is that, you know, sparks in a human that uh, regarding creativity that improves so many other aspects of life. So who knows? I know that's a bit deep, but that's where my head is at at the moment and reading mm. some books on it. I will it's not all back. just rope art. It's actually it's deep, <laughs> deep inside your mind. There's a lot going on. That's right. It's not all just rote art. All right. So where do we find you online, Al? Uh, you'll find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You'll find me on Twitter at, at Al Tate, A-L-T-A-I-T, and you will find me on Facebook and Instagram at Alison Tate Writer. 
Fantastic. And you'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, I am on Pinterest if you want to look at my pins on rope art, which I've been doing lately. (laughs) Oh, I am just, I don't know about you guys, but I am just storming the barricades to get to that. Otherwise, just feel free to connect with me on Facebook. Uh, um, I would love to connect. And um, thank you so much for listening, everyone. And, of course, you can find the show notes to everything that we've discussed at soyouwanttobeariter.com.au and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentercomau slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentercomau slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.